Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. I think artists can offer reality uh, to the world through a different lens. So everybody has a different lens through which they see the world. So what is your lens? Hey, it's Ryan, and welcome to The Prolific Creator, where we reflect on life and art and see what sticks. And today, my friends, I am so pumped to have Christiana Peterson on the show. Christiana is a writer, a poet, a wife, a mother, and I'm so excited to hear her perspective and to share her perspective with you. And we talk about why artists have a particular worldview, a particular perspective, that they need to share with the world. So whether you're writing, whether you're a poet, whether you're a painter, in the precise way of art art, or the broad way in which I like to expand the artist, whether you're a mother, a father, you're doing the generous thing, you're a leader, you're starting businesses, you're starting churches, you're starting ministries, you're running nonprofits, you have an angle, you have a perspective. And that's why your angle and your perspective is important. Your art, the way in which you share it with the world matters because it's your way and it's a different way and it's a fresh way and it doesn't mean they're all created equal but that's what's so unique about artists and people that want to share their message with the world is that we always say is there is there any more to say can do I have any uniqueness about me and yeah the uniqueness of you is your particular worldview your particular way in which you see reality and that's what Christiana explores with me today so I'm so excited to share with you her work her ideas, and you're going to really love this episode. Uh, She wrote a book called Mystics and Misfits, where she interacts with St. Francis of Assisi and her life living in on a Christian commune, which will be very interesting. Stay tuned for that with their family. Uh, And and also a a new book that she wrote, uh, Awakened by Death, where she explores the ways in which we minimize or... um, some sentimentalize death and, and where that idea came from. And I think you're going to hear a lot about craft and process of where ideas come from and why certain ideas just seem to stick around and, and why there's ways in which we should pursue certain ideas over others. And hopefully this will encourage you and help you uh, with your artist's toolbox, wherever you find yourself. So I'm so excited to, to get into this conversation with Christiana Peterson. And here is our conversation. Well, Christiana, it's so good to have you on on the show. And as I was saying, uh, I've been following you on your your newsletter for quite a few years and seeing the different books that you're writing and what you're up to, what you're creating, what your family's up to. And uh, so welcome to the show. I, I just love having interesting people doing interesting things. So say well, hello. Thank you. It's <laughs> great to be here. It's great to be thought of as an interesting person. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, one, one thing that caught my eye, which, you know, if anybody was reading your bio is, you know, a Christian intentional farming community. I mean, that has to catch your eye. What, what exactly is that? G- give us a little bit, a uh, little, inf- little insight into your world. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, our, my family and I, which was my husband, and eventually we had several of our kids at the, in the community. Um, we lived there for eight years, and it was on a farm in Illinois, and it was 180 acres. Um, and there were between 20 and 40 of us that lived there together over the course of the eight years. But it was a community that had been around uh, since the 70s and was Mennonite affiliated and we worshiped together, we worked together, we ate together. So it was a lot of communal life with all of the joys and challenges that come with that. And my husband was a farm manager there. So he, a lot of our life was revolved around growing food and um, preparing food together as a community and eating together. So it was quite an experience for sure. Well, you, uh, you wrote a book, uh, mystics and misfits, Mm -hmm. and and I believe you get into some of that, um, as far as that experience and that adventure. Uh, and I I love you, you talk a little bit about, you know, just the (laughs) kind of the, the idea of community sounds great until you actually do it and you realize it's messy and it's difficult and, you know, probably sounded ideal, you know, just live our, our best lives now out on a farm oh, and just yeah. enjoy each other and, you know, make our own food <laughs> and do all these things. And then, you know, when people are involved, it, it gets messy really quick. Uh, yeah. so, so tell me a little bit, kind of what was the impetus, what kind of led up to, uh, kind of taking your family into this kind of new direction, new adventure, uh, for those eight years. Yeah. So, well, my husband and I were newly married and we, um, had our first child. She was about eight or nine months old. Um, And we were living in Washington, D.C. and going to a Lutheran church that we really liked, but we just, we wanted more than just our Sunday morning worship together. And we would invite people to our home and people just seemed a little reticent to, to sort of create community outside of Sunday morning. And so my husband had been reading Wendell Berry, which a lot of people who are kind of into simple living or farming have, have read a lot of Wendell Berry and we were just doing some reading about, um, communal life. And one day he came home from walking our dog and said, Hey, let's move to a commune. Uh (laughs) I, I was like, okay, but let's make sure, you know, maybe we can find one that's Christian because there's, you know, all sorts of communes out there. So I think he was a little surprised that I was willing to, um, entertain the idea, so we just, we literally found it online. Um, there's a, a database of intentional Christian communities. And this one was connected to the Mennonites. And we didn't know a whole lot about the Mennonites. Um, I thought that they all kind of looked Amish, which I, which is not the case at all. I've learned many, many years later. Um, and we visited and they were happy to have us come and they had a job for my husband on the farm. So we just sort of, it was very sort of spontaneous and something that you can do when you're a little younger and um, only have one kid as opposed to four. So. Right, right. Yeah. That changes, changes things pretty quick. Changes things. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. My, uh, my fam, my wife's family, uh, they have a bunch of family up in Canada and that she has a bunch mm-hmm. of Mennonites on her side of the family. And it was interesting. We went up there a few years ago and uh, actually toured this little kind of intentional communal community, uh, you know, business that they ran and, you know, made their oh, own food. Wow. And it was really interesting. Cool. It, it was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, definitely not Amish. They're a little different. I mean, they're all kind of over the map as far as, you know, Oh, the huge spectrum, huge spectrum. I mean, there are conservative Mennonites that look to those who don't know the differences as if they would be Amish. They, you know, they have plain dress and then there's, you know, progressive Mennonites on the other end of the spectrum. So there's a huge, huge array of what Mennonites look Mm -hmm. like. Well, you wrote, you wrote this book, uh, mystics and misfits and talk a little bit about your adventure there. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so let's get into, I mean, a lot of what we, we do on the show is, is to get into some of your background and kind of your, uh, your creativity and what kind of spurred you on as an artist, as a writer, uh, you know, were you, were you writing during the this eight year period? Um, obviously I imagine even before that, but what, what did that look like as you kind of, uh, you know, lived in, on, in this community, but then also how did the book kind of emerge after that? Emerge from that. Yeah. I mean, writing had been my vocation for a couple of years. I mean, I hadn't made any money on it, but it had been what I, I really didn't know how to do anything else, to be honest. 
Um, so I studied, uh, I, in college, I had a BA in English and then I went on to get, a a postgraduate degree in creative writing. So that was sort of what I wanted to do. And it was actually, my dissertation was actually a young adult novel. So fiction was actually my first love and young adult fiction particularly um, was my first writing love. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And I've written a couple novels and never could quite get them published. So I was sort of in the uh, writing world, but hadn't entered into the publishing world yet. Um, so I never thought that I would be writing nonfiction spiritual writing. That just wasn't in my on my radar. But I ended up, um, one of my really closest friends from college, we were both writers. Um, she kind of got me into this writer's group of other people that were writing in that similar vein. And it was kind of with their encouragement that I began to write down some of the sort of personal stories and personal meditative expressions of what was going on in our life and community. And I started writing um, little blog bloggy type essays for a, a journal or an online journal. And out of that kind of developed this, uh, this fascination with the mystics and love of um, what, what they could offer to my spiritual life. So all of that sort of coincided with, um, you know, just starting to write about the mystics, having more children, uh, even struggling with some mental health. Um, and they all kind of came together at the same time. And this book started emerging. Um, and the first thing I actually wrote from this book was a letter to St. Francis. Um, it was sort of a, um, writing exercise almost. And then, that kind of became um, sort of the layout of the book, having letters to a mystic at each section of the book. So I didn't even know it was going to be part of the book. It just started sort of with that. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I think when you create something or write something, those ideas, you know, you, you have this starting point and you think this is what it's going to be and this is what it mm -hmm. needs to be. And then when you're done, you go, it's not anything that I, I thought it would no, be. Um, and that's, that's the little, the little trick that people don't, uh, don't realize and they get frustrated by it. And it's like, yeah, that's part of the adventure. Um, mm -hmm. But I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about um, St. Francis. Uh, a couple of reasons. One is you obviously deep dive into, you know, in, in mystics and misfits. You talk about him a lot, mm -hmm. um, but I, I found his name coming up more and more in, in all kinds of circles. Um, you know, Christian, non-Christian, religious, non-religious uh, circles. W what is the, the the kind of fascination with St. Francis and his relevance even today? And, mm -hmm. and also what are maybe some, some things that, cause I think there's a lot of maybe bad information about who he was or what he was about. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of urban, urban legends, if you will, about, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, are, that are kind of funny, but, um, but what were some surprising things that you, you kind of discovered um, as you kind of looked at his life and the letters that you were writing and the things that you were learning and, and his relevance for today? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what we do know about St. Francis is sort of the hagiography, those, you know, uh, sort of seemingly fantastical stories about how he tames the wolf and, <laughs> right. um, you know, just some really, you know, which is because he was in the middle ages, there's, and the way they would write stories of the saints uh, was sort of embellished, but that was sort of an accepted way to talk about um, saints and their lives. And so it's always, it's sometimes hard to know what is, what, wh which of things, things are true. They're all sort of part of his, his legend and his background. Um, I'm trying to think of the moment that I first really heard about him. I think that Richard Rohr, I mean, we've all probably have the name St. Francis of Assisi in our back, in the back of our minds. And you see his statue in gardens or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's preaching to the birds and mm -hmm. he likes right. the earth or whatever. So I think I was reading a book by Richard Rohr and he talks a lot about St. Francis and he is a Franciscan. So that means a lot to him. Um, and so I think because, um, because I was learning more about Mennonites and they have a really strong peace position, it was really interesting to me that St. Francis also is known as a pacifist. And so I think that was sort of an entrance into, um, into his 
being interested in him and, and having him as a figure be sort of my interest into, or my entrance into the mystics and the saints. And I think it was his position, not only as a saint, but as a mystic and as someone who um, had these strange visions and heard God's voice that really fascinated me. I mean, I didn't grow up Catholic. So the idea of the saints was sort of a new thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I think um, he was sort of my entrance into that world. And I think he was a, um, a gentle entrance into that world. And I think, I think he speaks to a lot of people now because he's um, because of his peace position, because of his um, sort of relationship with creation. And I think those are big ideas right now. Um, with creation care and just to see a, a Christian position of creation care from a really long time ago. And that has been a strain throughout church tradition for a really long time. I think um, for a lot of us who are, have rediscovered the need for, for creation care, um, I think that's encouraging to see that there has been someone who has um really loved creation uh from a long time back in in church tradition mm-hmm. and yeah um someone who who uh, literally went to war and his experience of war uh changed his mind about war um someone who was took a vow of poverty and lived among lepers and some people think that he actually got leprosy himself, just his sacrifice and his willingness to, um, to suffer, to suffer with others. I think it really means a lot to a lot of people now. Well, I think you're, you're touching on something really beautiful and, and, and also really important. I I think it's a little bit what CS Lewis talks about, you know, this idea of chronological snobbery, you know, anything that's old, anything of the past (laughs) has no relevance today. And and it's, I I love, you know, books like yours and, and people that have, have just, you know, stumbled upon certain people and how it's opened their eyes to things that you go, Hey, this isn't a new conversation. Like we're talking about war. We're talking about climate. We're talking about, you know, pain and suffering. That's a human predicament that, that Mm -hmm. all generations have struggled with. And it's, it's, it's great to hear other people that have walked that road and have championed this road. And it obviously looks different, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, with, right. you know, St. Francis, but, but the, but it's not a new, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, that's, right. I, I think, I think we live in this day where we think everything is now, everything is new. This isn't, you know, hasn't been a problem in the past, but it's, it's always been a problem in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we can learn a lot from people that have walked this road and, and actually can comfort us, I think, uh, yeah. which is, and I, I appreciate you writing these books. I think sometimes books, do I know we're we're becoming less and less a reading generation, but mm-hmm. but books are these these kind of conversations and stories that really can remind us that we're part of something bigger, mm-hmm. and and I think people forget that when we write books, and whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, is that we're just part of a bigger story that's going on and and uh, can comfort us in whatever need that we have or st- struggle we have or what have you. Um, I, I'd love to ask you uh, just as along those lines. Uh, you you said you got into nonfiction. You were um, really passionate about fiction, mm-hmm. um, and this is a question I've I've interviewed you know hundreds of writers over the years and flexing the fiction muscle and the nonfiction muscle. So you started with fiction, but then you you started writing more nonfiction stuff, spiritual mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, was it a different muscle? Was it a different process? Was it? I mean, did you think about it differently? How how did you go about kind of making that shift? I know you're you're still doing um, both and writing poetry and other things too. Um, but but is there for the for you specifically? Is there is there a different muscle that you have to flex, or is it kind of the same? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's different. Um, I mean, in some ways, I think when I write fiction, I typically don't uh always know where it's going you know i i guess you'd call me a seat of the pants or you know mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. i kind of fly by the seat of my pants um and i i find the story often by writing it which i think a lot of writers do um whereas with this with each of my books i was expected to have an outline of what i was going to write before and i hadn't when i got contracts for both of my books i hadn't written either of them so when you write fiction, I mean, I'm sure, you know, if you have to have a fiction book to give to a publisher, usually mm-hmm. if they're going to mm-hmm. offer you a contract. Right. 
So I hadn't written uh, Mystics and Misfits, but I had a general outline of what that would look like. Um, And so it was hard for me to write toward the outline um, because a lot of my writing is very, um, it's very intuitive and I feel it out. So I think that in itself was a a challenging difference that you, um, when you're writing, I mean, the helpful thing about Mystics and Misfits is that it was my story. So it it was supposed to be written in the form of a story. Um, And I had had experience with the, uh, you know, the ebbs and flows and the climaxes and, and such of a story of a narrative. So that was helpful in writing memoir that it needed to sort of follow a narrative. Um, but, but yeah, interjecting the different elements, um, telling from true life, knowing the difference between like, how can I, like, this needs to be true. Mm -hmm. how uh i can't remember all these details does that mean it's not true you know there's Mm -hmm. there's there's uh conversations you could have about what's true and what's not but um you know i had to be really careful about making sure i had the timelines right um and then with my second book it was a lot more uh, researched and academic and that was probably the biggest challenge um because i'd certainly written written academic papers in school but I kept wanting to put to to let the stories that I would tell in my researched book speak for themselves. And you have to lay it out more for your audience when you're writing a nonfiction book. And you have to make those connections a little bit more. And my editor kept saying, make the connection, make the, be more explicit. And I think that was harder for me because when you're writing a fiction book, you're not, it doesn't really work when you're being didactic and telling the audience what to think and and which connections to make. So I think that was probably the hardest part for me was just uh, making some of those connections more explicit. No, I I think everything you're saying is, is, is fascinating. Cause I have a, I have a um, friend who writes fiction and it's funny, like he'll give them an outline and then, you know, just, chuck the outline essentially and just write the book, you know, and I mean, the publishers just don't even care, um, but yeah. it's just, it's almost like, we just want to make sure you've thought about something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are the challenges. I think the, the, the different muscle of nonfiction fiction is, you know, I'm, I'm more of a seat of a pants kind of person too, as far mm-hmm. as fiction goes, but, but yeah, nonfiction, it's more technical. It's more precise. You, you can't mm-hmm. just throw out random facts that aren't yeah, true. Make up stuff. No, yeah, you have to do research <laughs> and you be checked on that. So, um, which I always feel like telling stories is so much more freeing and yeah. you know, nonfiction just slows you down and, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I got to go look this up and, you know, oh, I got this wrong. And, you know, <laughs> we're in a story. It's like, there's nothing wrong. It's just a story. It's made up. I made it all up. It's yeah, okay. <laughs> right. They can, they can do whatever they want. Uh, Nobody's going to fact check your fact check, your fantasy fiction. <laughs> right. Right. I love that. Uh, well, I'd love, um, to talk a little more about one of your other books that, um, um, I just confess I haven't um, started yet, but I, I do have it, oh, um, okay. is Awakened by Death. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know that's just a real um, encouraging, hopeful, All right. You know, right, that, the, the conversation <laughs> of death. But but I feel like it's uh, it's such a, a relevant subject right now. And I, I've been reading some other things, too, about, um, you know, just during this pandemic and a lot of death and just this week, a friend of mine's father passed away and, um, I had another friend that passed away a few months ago and, and, you know, and, and, and I know that's part of obviously part of life, but, um, but I I love what you, your, your angle on, on the subject is the idea that maybe we're maybe minimizing it, or we're not talking about it enough, enough, Mm. or we're, um, maybe obsessed with it or not obsessed with it enough or, um, mm-hmm. so, so talk a little bit of just kind of the origin story again of this book awakened by death and, and kind of where that came from. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think personally, I, I've always had a fixation on death and, and more in the, the fear side of death, just really aware of my own mortality from a pretty young age and really afraid and feeling, um, when you're in the Christian world, um, you don't have, you're not really supposed to be afraid of death, right? You're where we have the hope of resurrection and we're going to be in heaven. And so why would you be afraid? Doesn't that mean that you're doubting? Doesn't that mean that you're not being faithful or trusting God? And so, uh, taking, well, I, I started reading several years ago, um, Richard Beck's the slavery of death. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Richard Beck actually just came out with a really interesting book. Um, now I'm not going to remember it, able to remember the title, but something about magic eels, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he, um, he's a, a, a psychology professor, I think, but he, he talks about the inter the connections between psychology and theology a lot. And he uh, just wrote this book about our uh, ways, the fear of death emerges in our Western world. And I think he had done a lot of work um, reading uh, writers of the past. Um, one of them, Ernest Becker, who wrote this book called The Denial of Death, which a lot of people in that genre know. Um, just the, the fascinating ways that the fear of death emerges um, in the ways that we live our life. Not, you know, people, a lot of people say, well, I'm not afraid of death. But then there's these neurotic ways that um, because because our generally our lives are not um, fixated on survival, you know, we're not living in uh, the mode of many of our ancestors or maybe more traditional societies that there's like this need to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. We know we're kind of probably survive. Um, Then we start having obsessiveness, you know, neuroses and all these other fears that emerge that we don't always um, recognize. So um, that was really interesting to me to read that because with my background of being sort of fixated on death, just seeing somebody who had sort of worked through some of these things and um, just opening my eyes to ways that are culture is neurotic about death and about trying to avoid death in so Mm. many ways. So, yeah, I think that's kind of where that started to emerge. Right. I I think it's it's a little bit of what you're saying is, is there's a, there's an obsession with it even subconsciously because of the way we live our lives. You know, we got to get it in all now. We got to make sure we don't, you know, so there's this anxiety, this, this fear of fear of missing out or, Mm -hmm. you know, fear of not accomplishing what I want to accomplish or time is too short or my health's going to run out. And so we just manically run after things. Mm -hmm. And and yet what drives that, right? What, I mean, we'd say at one level, it's what makes me happy. I want to do that. But, but Mm -hmm. secondly, it's like, also like, we know life is short. We know death is coming for us all. So, so sometimes right, yeah, it manifests right. us in these very unhealthy ways. And, um, and I know in my work as, um, as a pastor, I've walked a lot of people to the grave and, and it's interesting yeah. how families grieve in different ways, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with the hope of resurrection and, um, but you know, or the cliches that we kind of throw out there just to kind of comfort ourselves or, yeah. you know, and, and a I, lot of those are, yeah. are to comfort us rather than right. they're not. I mean, if you've, you've walked people through death, or if you've mm-hmm. lost someone yourself, a lot of those things that people say are not comforting, Sure, they, but no. it's a way for that person to say, you know, okay, I'm going to say this because I'm uncomfortable and mm-hmm. it makes me not put myself in your position. Um, I don't want to think that this could happen to me or whatever, or I'm scared myself or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, my husband's a pastor too, and he's, we have a congregation that skews older and he has done a lot of funerals. And so it's, it was very interesting to be writing this book as he, when we moved to where we're living here as he was doing funerals and he was, um, you know, trying to theologically understand what was happening with congregants and why people wanted certain things at their funerals and what traditionally, what is the Christian tradition, um, have to say, what rituals do we have to offer to, um, sort of our more Americanized versions of funerals and death rituals? Yeah. There's a, uh, I was reading something about, you know, when you think about not even that long ago, hundred, 200, 300 years, uh, you know, if you lived in a village or a community with no, you know, modern medicine, I mean, when you died, you died with the community. When you were right. born, you were born with the community. I mean, it was all, everything was connected was together. There. Yeah. You couldn't escape it. Mm-hmm. Now I think because of hospitals and long care, you know, care facilities and things, you know, death is very sterilized. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's often separated from the community or from the family and um, you know, or just small, you know, selected people. And it's, it's just a different experience. I think sometimes we don't even think, consider that what, what it would have been like right. to have lived in a place where, all around you was, was life, birth and death all the time. And everybody knew and everybody had to experience it and deal with it. It wasn't wasn't that it was a happy thing that people wanted to experience, but it was 
uh, in the same, you know, we live in a house and I talk about this in the book, we live in a house that was built in 1850. And so I had this, and I had that we had a visitor come to our house and we have these weird doors in our house. We have three front doors. And he said, Oh, that's for the, the funeral. When somebody, there's a wake in the, in the home, it was for traffic for people to come in and out. I don't, you know, whether that's true or not, Mm -hmm. I just, it kind of hit me. Mm -hmm. Oh, that there were probably bodies laid out in this house. There were, have been people Mm -hmm. probably who have died. Sure. The the women of the house probably washed the bodies and on this, you know, in the, on the dining room table and, you know, just that in this house where births probably happened, deaths happened as well. And that that's part of uh, an understanding of the way life is that life and death and meals and family and love and pain are all part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And so that was just really meaningful to me to see that in a home, you know, that Mm -hmm. that used to be the way that we lived and died was in our home. And I think that the move, not only of death in hospitals, and I think most people would probably say they'd rather die at home, but often that doesn't happen, but also the move of um, paying somebody else to care for the dead bodies of our loved ones sort of puts that on, you know, the experience of death on other people. Mm -hmm. And um, I've read some fascinating accounts from from funeral directors who have all of these insights about the human experience because they are the ones tasked with taking care of our dead, you know, Mm -hmm. and just how much they learn about what it means to be human. I'm like, well, we should maybe all be learning what it means to be human by being with the dead, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. So, uh, Maybe this will for, lead us into a little more of the the kind of craft process side of of writing and creating and uh, but but a book like this, just like your other book, um, and, and I know this can be a cliche question, but I think it leads to some interesting places. Is you know where do these ideas come from? You know wh- why why spend you know I imagine you spent a year or whatever on this book about death. I mean, right? You have to be really yeah. excited about a subject or yeah. you know to to keep going. You know, <laughs> or obsessed to, with it. Yeah, or, obsessed <laughs> or with tormented it. by yeah, it. Right? Who knows? Maybe all <laughs> of the above. Uh, but you know, when you when you you get these ideas, these seeds of an idea, as we've already mentioned, you know, the the finished product is always something different. But uh, how do you know what you know if this is if this is the thing? Like this is the idea I need to run with. You know, because you're going to give a lot of time and energy and research and prayer and, and sacrifice, you know, ignoring your family, all these things. How do you yeah. know kind of what is the, the, the road to go down? Is there any, any way that you kind of discern that? Hmm. I think it's probably uh, what we were just saying that it's the thing that has been for me, it's probably the thing that's been tormenting me. Uh, the thing that just keeps emerging uh, over and over in my life and in my reading and in my conversations. Um, yeah, it, it is sort of the, the mysterious uh, process of all of that. I mean, the fact that, um, well, I, I had started writing about death, as I said, several years ago when I wrote or when I read that book, The Slavery of Death, um, but it just never came to anything. And then um be living, we moved to Ohio four years ago and coinciding with my husband doing more funerals and that just being a conversation that we had over and over, especially when I was in the middle of writing the book. Um, that was so helpful to me to be able to talk that out with my husband and to have his insights too. I mean, so many of his his insights too uh, came into the writing of that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's mysterious because mm-hmm. death has really been on my heart, as I said, since I was a kid. And I think I just had come to a point where I needed, I needed to write about it. I needed to, to work through it. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it's a combination of um, the time in your life, the season of your life. I also had an editor reach out to me and say, what's your next project? What do you, what do you want to write about? And um, I said, death. And she was like, <laughs> great. That sounds interesting. Let's go with it. So it, it was sort of a weird amalgamation, a, a weird coming together of publisher and season of life and just it being the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, right. it is mysterious. 
Yeah. And I think you said some interesting and important things. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of what we're working through, you know, at that time. And that doesn't mean it always yeah. needs to be a book or a, you know, blog post or whatever. Um, but those, those things stick with us. They stick around. It's like, we can't, you know, just like death, we can't escape it. Um, but, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it just keeps those themes keep coming back. And um, I remember years ago, Stephen King talked about, he's written so many books, obviously. And he said, you know, how do you, how do you know which idea to go with? And he says, well, it's kind of like a strainer and, you know, you put all your ideas in the strainer and you just keep, you know, l- letting all the, the, the dust and the dirt and all the gross stuff kind of fall through. And he's like, the gold always sticks around. He's like, you just mm-hmm. keep coming back to, it. I mean, he, he said he had ideas for books 20 years ago that he just wrote and, but it was like, he just couldn't escape it. And I think, you know, when we think about writing and, and creating, you know, whoever's listening, uh, you, sometimes we get anxious over like, I don't know what the idea is, or I don't know where to start. But, but a lot of times it is that kind of, what's the thing that just keeps bothering you or keeps, you know, haunting you or, or the stuff you're reading or the stuff you're thinking about all the time. Like, like mm-hmm. maybe that's the thing, you know, to follow God, yeah, God or your subconscious is trying to kind of get your attention. Right. Because I think, and then I think yeah. there's a passion that comes with it. Cause once you kind of go, yeah, I really want to get to the bottom of this, or I want to figure out how mm-hmm. to do this. Um, th- those aren't always bad things to follow, um, yeah. and, and not be anxious. And, and I think what you said earlier, which is really helpful is the end product is never going to be where you started. And so there's some freedom in that to say, don't obsess over, you know, the, the start because mm-hmm. it's going to, it's going to evolve. It's going to twist. It's going to change, but just follow it where it needs to go. And it'll, it'll be what it needs to be at the end. Um, and it's not always, even <laughs> when you get to the end product, it's not even always uh, where exactly where you want it to be. Right. You know, it, it's just never there, you know, there are projects that you just never will finish unless somebody makes you finish it. Right. And yeah. also I think just because you, and I'm sure you would say this just because you're passionate about a subject and that's the subject you want to follow. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And, and no. sometimes the harder it is, um, the more you're getting to the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, I mean, it doesn't mean that art, all art has to be painful, but there is a measure of when you're really trying to wrestle with something and you're really trying to get to the heart of it, it can be really hard and painful and agonizing. I mean, I don't know a single writer who doesn't at some point in their writing project say, I can't do this. I, I don't know. What did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and even at the end saying, oh, okay, well, I got to let it go now. You know, it's not necessarily where I want it to be, but I got to let it go. So it's, sure. it can be agonizing. Well, I, you know, and I think it's it, when you're, when you're having that agony or that struggle or, you know, blocks that happen, I, I, I always see that as a, this is because this is important. Right. And, and if you're not nervous about it, if you're not wanting it to be good, then it's probably the wrong idea, the wrong thing. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think of a pastor preaching a sermon, someone starting a ministry or a business or writing a book. <laughs> I think it's all the same craft in a sense. Like if there's not nerves, if there's not, you know, this might fail, like then we're probably not doing the right thing. Like if it's just, yeah. this is easy and this is great. And, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> we have those moments at times, but like, I think it, there's a weight to it that you go, mm-hmm. yeah, this is, we want this to be good. We want this to help somebody. We want this to you know, be an encouragement or serve yeah. our community or whatever it is. Like if there's not a, a tension there, I think we're, we probably need to figure out another, you know, another <laughs> idea. And also, you know, the imposter syndrome that comes and like, you're oh. not a writer, you're not good. You're terrible. It's, terrible. it's just, yeah. I mean, that's what nobody wants to talk about, but I don't care if you've written 50 books. Like it's, it's always, you're the worst. Every single time you start. <laughs> yes. It's like, <laughs> you've, you've made a wrong choice in I your can't life. Do this. Yeah. 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 You're like, I've made bad choices in my life and why am I doing this and wasting everybody's time? Um, and that's real. Um, well let's, um, and our, our, our community always finds this helpful. And, and cause I think every creator writer, you know, whether you're an artist, whether you're, you know, running a business or running a home, uh, there's a, there's a, process there's a, a way that you kind of begin what is your 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 kind of rhythms of of your day to get into kind of the creative flow or if you're working on a project i mean do you have specific things you do i know you have some young ones in the home and um, i deal with that too i have four kids as well and uh, yeah. yeah and it's it's you know uh navigating that i talk about writing in the cracks of my life you know yes. but, but uh you know what does that look do you have a kind of a, a a ritual a practice uh what does that look like for you yeah, I used to have more rituals and practices, I think. But I, I think it's become more like when uh, when do I have a moment? 
although I, this is the first time my, my youngest is in preschool. And so I know that I have four hours a morning, four days a week. And so I, I have, uh, we were on a break for the summer. And so I knew that if I didn't have some sort of routine that my writing just wouldn't happen. So I, I, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, um, get the kids off to school and then I exercise because if I don't do it then, then I'm not going to do it right. throughout the, the rest of the day. I get my coffee and I, um, I have my prayer prayer time or reading or whatever in the morning. And then uh, it's time to sit down in front of the computer. And sometimes I'm just staring at it and having no idea what I'm writing. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I think that's the most ritual that I have right now. I think I used to, when I was younger and didn't have as much going on, I think I was more particular about my ritual and having certain candles that I lit and certain music, but now it's just like, okay, you know, let's just get it done. Let's, let's go, let's sit down and, and get this moving. So. That's good. You, you said something important there. I think it's knowing your, know that I always say know thyself, but also know thy season Yeah. And know what season of life you're in. If you're, you know, a young young family or kids in the house, no kids in the house, health problems, older. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to know like what works for you, You're a morning person, mm-hmm. a night person, uh, you know, and, and sometimes we fight that, you know, we just go, yeah. you know, I'm going to get up at four in the morning, but you've never woken up before noon in your life, you know? So it's yeah. like, that's probably not going to happen. It's not going to uh, work, but, but yeah. I know my husband will be like, are you sure you want to try to get up that early? You're just, <laughs> right. that, that hasn't worked in the past. I've yeah. watched that. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like my wife, you know, it's like, I know how you are. At, if you wake up that early, you're not very nice in the evening, yeah. you know, cause you have no energy left. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think it's just finding kind of your, your rhythm and your way. And, and it isn't a, I'll call it a miracle. It's, it's a absolute miracle that we, we get anything done. Um, I think sometimes we look at all the things around us, our families, our communities, our, you know, the busyness, somehow the book still gets done. Somehow the piece of art gets still gets made. Like, I mean, I I love what you're saying about, you know, a few hours here, a few minutes here, like that adds up over time and and eventually it'll get to the publisher eventually it'll get, you know, onto my, my blog post or whatever. And and it does, it does happen. And so I don't think we need to like be anxious or stress over it. It's one word in front of the other, you know, one sentence, one paragraph, one page. Right. I Uh, have a picture that my, when my son, when I was writing awakened by death, he, I I think maybe he, I had babysitting here and there when I was writing that book, but I think this is a particular day where he wasn't in daycare or babysitting. And he took a picture of me writing the book as he was, I was like, here, take my phone for a few minutes. (laughs) And I was sitting on my floor with my, you know, with a pillow on my lap uh, with my computer on my lap, kind of in the corner of my room. And I'm like, that's how I wrote awakened by death <laughs> in a corner of my room, you know, on the floor. Right. And that's just sometimes what you have to do. I mean, you don't have to, it would be great to get away to a cabin in the woods right. or to go off by yourself, but sometimes we don't have the luxury to do that. And that yep. doesn't mean that you can't do the work, you know, in short fits and bursts and in the nooks and crannies of the day. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll confess. I get angry when I hear about those writers that I I take my, you know, 200 yard walk out to my writing shed where, you know, there's Bach playing and (laughs) birds singing. Yeah. Yeah, I I want a she shed. (laughs) Right. For six hours. I'm like, really get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Eh. Why the kids are maybe when I'm 65. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, uh, Christiana, I, just, as we get close to the end, uh, here, I want to be sensitive to your, your time. Uh, you know, we have a lot of different people that listen to the show, you know, writers, artists, um, moms, dads, uh, people leading nonprofits, businesses, you you name it. Um, but when you think about, you know, the creative process, when you think about creativity, writing, uh, what would be like some tips, some, some wisdom, some, some insight that you would give someone that's, that's making something, starting something, wherever they are on the journey, what would be some things you've kind of learned along the way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of what we talked about earlier. What are those things that are uh, nagging you or niggling, niggling, nibbling at you? I don't know, tormenting you or you're obsessed with, um, that you want to offer to the world, you know, what are some things that you notice about the world? And I mean, I feel like ultimately I, I think artists can offer 
reality uh, to the world through a different lens. So everybody has a different lens through which they see the world. So what is your lens through which you see the world? How can you offer the, you know, that we have, we're human. So we have similar experiences, but it's so helpful to have your perspective on that same experience because it makes us each see our, our life and reality anew. So I think it's just important that we're offering that new lens to see the world. Um, and that, and then anybody can offer that, you know, and I, yeah, I think it's, it, it's always encouraging to me to hear of people who, who don't have a lot of time in their life, but they still find the time to be creative. Um, and I think it's, for me, it's therapeutic. So mm-hmm. I think in, I think you might be surprised when you just sit down and you write a journal entry, or you just write some words on your computer, how therapeutic it, it can be to, um, to offer those things, mm-hmm. even if it's just to the computer, <laughs> right. but to offer those things to the world and, um, to articulate, um, the world, uh, and trying to find meaning out of our experiences. I think it's just really important. That's well said. I always say, you know, art, art and making things is cheaper than therapy. And, and, and also, uh, I, I like what you said about your angle, your viewpoint. I think everyone obsesses over, you know, it's already been said, it's already been done, but it hasn't been said by you right? uh, in your way, through your lens, Mm -hmm. through your angle. And that's what makes it unique. That's what makes all writing and creating unique. It's, it Mm -hmm. comes from you and what you're, how you're looking at it, how you're seeing it. And that's what always comes off, off different. So I really appreciate that, that insight, uh, Christiana. Now, before we, we end, um, what are you dreaming about? What are you working on? Um, what projects do you have going? What do we, what can we look forward to, um, other than your current books and stuff you're making? Yeah, I'm uh, kind of trying to figure out what projects are coming next for me right now. I've just been writing some poetry, um, kind of articulating some of the things that we did and saw and felt on our sabbatical this summer. We were in Colorado for most of the summer, so I've been writing some poems about that. Um, yeah, I think and, I saw that, saw that in your newsletter. I think you were yeah, some yeah. on that. Yeah, that's great. I've been reading a lot of poetry lately, which I haven't <laughs> done in a while. Right. Um, and I'm tinkering with a novel. Uh, I've always wanted to get back to fiction writing. So um, it may have something to do with uh, a mystic or two. Uh, and may, it may have some fantasy time travel. I don't know. I'm just tinkering with Sounds it. Fun. So that's just kind of been what I've, what's been coming out when I sit down to write. Great. I love it. Well, where can, uh, where's the best place to find you and your work and uh, connect with you? Yeah, I guess right now you can just look at my blog, christianainpeterson.com. And I have a newsletter. There's a link to sign up to my newsletter that I send out periodically. Um, I haven't been doing social media a whole lot lately, but I am on Instagram. So well, fantastic. Well, Christiana, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for helping a lot of people today by sharing your story, by giving us some, some insight into your creative work and process. It's going to bless a lot of people. So thank you so much for coming on the show and hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was thank fun. You. Well, there you have it. Prolific creators. Wow. What a jammed packed conversation with Christiana Peterson. Uh, really loved her generosity of coming on the show and sharing her writing life, her life, her story, her experiences. And hopefully there's something that you can take away from this episode. And I know one big thing for me is how artists show a particular angle on reality. And I think that's really important for you when you feel frustrated, when you feel like I don't have anything to say or everyone's saying the same thing or how do I say it in a fresh way is your voice, your way, your cadence your personality, your experiences, all those things come out in your art. And that's what makes it unique. Uh, And that's why your book, your poetry, the thing that you're building, the thing that you're starting is unique and has your stamp on it, which is important. And uh, and so there's nothing like it uh, in the world. And so, so go check out 
Christiana Peterson's work, her books, her poetry, her articles, and she has more more work coming out soon. So go check out her website. I'll put that in the in the show notes. And also before we land the plane here today, uh, just a couple ways in which you can support this show. Uh, one would just be an obvious way is to share this episode and share past episodes with friends, family, coworkers, uh, whoever you interact with, whoever's into the podcasting thing. Uh, whatever that looks like for them, share these episodes. It's a great way just to share it and get it out into the world. That's one great way you can support the show. Also, another great way to support the show is leave a rating or review wherever you listen uh, to this podcast. So whether that's iTunes or elsewhere, uh, leave a rating or review. It really helps us get the word out and supposedly the algorithms like that and uh, the mystical world of algorithms. Uh, more reviews, better reviews. Uh, it gets out in the world. So leave an honest review. It would really help us out. Um, also, you can... Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so when new episodes come out, you'll have it ready in your feed and you can check those out. And also, I keep everyone updated on Motivation Mondays. Every Monday, I send out an email with all the latest work and episodes and things going on. And you can check out there and stay apprised of what's going on in the prolific creator world. And then lastly, um, I've been creating some merch. Yeah, merch. Because that's what the cool kids say. Um, and so if you head on over to Prolific Creations KC, you can find some of the merch there. There's some t-shirts, there's some mugs. Um, I have a mug that I really like, I think, for the creative type, the artist type, um, really just the human type. Um, it, it says, um, consume less and create more. And I think that's a great reminder for us. Consume less and create more. That um, the, the divine artist has, has gifted us to create, not just be consumers, but to create because we're made uh, in the image of God. And so that makes us by nature creative and uh, something to share with the world, work to share with the world, our perspective to share with the world, our gifts, our talents, our artistry to share with the world. So go check out the merch that'll be in the show notes as well. Well, as always, thank you so much, prolific creators, for stopping by the show. This is Ryan J. Pelton. I just have one more thing to say. Go make some great art with your life, and I will talk to you real, real soon. Have you tried finding tickets for any live event lately? It's impossible to keep up, and prices are crazy. That's why you have to check out Gold Star. Gold Star makes it easy to discover the best in live entertainment in your city with instant access to awesome events and special ticket deals. Concerts, live theater, comedy, dance, food fests, immersive experiences. You name it, Gold Star has access to special deals you won't find anywhere else with savings of 50% or more. Go to goldstar.com and use code DCPOD to save $10 on your first purchase. That's goldstar.com, code DCPOD, to save $10.